You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Waddle, Waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires. Touchdown, okay. it's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? Happy Draft Week. I don't want to waste any more time. We are going to jump in right away on today's show with my guest, Kyle Krabs, from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Let's get to part one of my two-part interview series here with Locked On Dolphins, Kyle Krabs. You all know what time it is, our annual draft extravaganza that really kicks off with an episode that doesn't talk much about the draft, but it is a preamble with Kyle Krabs here, breaking down all things Dolphins offseason, all things Dolphins draft coming up later this week. You guys know him from the Locked On Dolphins podcast, my good buddy. Kyle, how you doing, man? Oh, it's it's good to be on with the godfather of Locked On Dolphins, and uh, always good to talk Dolphins with you, Travis, and uh, excited for uh, the weekend and the Dolphins getting an opportunity to add some names into the mix here for this uh, very exciting 2023 season that that seems to be um, the Dolphins just continuing to make progress on what what felt like this journey that started back in 2019 when they made the changes structurally to to kind of build to this point. Yeah, absolutely. And and you also said something in the in the uh, chat the other day that we are both part of uh, about you guys want to go watch some players. The Dolphins probably won't even draft anyways. And I, I think about you in that regard a lot, especially this year, because we only have the four draft picks. So you're trying to get through all these players to find out who goes where. And, you know, you, you work in the draft community a lot, so it's, it, it works for that job. But when you're only focused on the Miami Dolphins, it's like you have, you have to cast such a wide net, just hoping to pull in some uh, what's, what's the smallest fish. I don't even know at this point, uh, some shrimp. Yeah. Shrimp, yeah, I th- that's probably krill. the right, you know, krill, right? Because the, the whales have to use the what is it? It's not braille, right? Or is it braille with their teeth? It, it, it works the same way, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, that's the challenge, right? Because you you get into the multiverse of there's how many different iterations of combinations of fifty picks that are going to happen in front of the dolphins before their first currently scheduled pick and. We'll see if they stay put. It might be earlier. It might be later. That's kind of the fun thing about Chris Greer. And then if they feel like they're going to get good value, they'll do anything. And they, they've shown and proven that time and time again. So it's the unpredictability of this year, even in spite of not having a pick that's super early where you feel like, okay, let's get a list of 20 names and we're definitely going to get one of those guys. I, I think it almost adds to the intrigue of finding the right players to inject around what the nucleus of this roster has become. I've heard you do on your podcast a few times. I say it all the time. I'm not a math guy, but what's the equation where it's it would be 50 with the exclamation mark? Is that like 50 factored or something? I don't know. That's, 50th, that's 50th power, right? There you go. So essentially, that's what you're doing for the for the 51st pick is trying to figure out, like you mentioned. It, I mean, you pretty much got in the calculator the e the error because when you <laughs> type that in, you're gonna you have as many combinations as as it exists in the universe. So we won't do all that. And we won't even talk about the draft that much on this podcast, but I do want to go back and talk about the off season that was so far for your Miami Dolphins. And 
you know, coming into this, Kyle, again, we talk a lot, you know, just texting back and forth as, as friends and, and fans of this team do. And, you know, before the off season, we have our ideas about what might happen, but we're always pretty much wrong uh, for the most part. And so the Dolphins had this approach to me, at least this off season of really going after the defense. I mean, the two pre like premier acquisitions were Jalen Ramsey and, and David Long in terms of the compensation to go get those guys and, and their resumes so far as pros. What do you make of that approach for how the Dolphins go after the defense really and try to improve the area of the football team, which in the past had been in the higher ranking of the two in terms of league rank, but last year kind of flipped a little bit. How do you like the approach of going defense heavy in the free agency period? Yeah, I, I cer- certainly appreciate what they've done in the secondary to bring some guys back. Uh, in addition to injecting a name like Jalen Ramsey into the mix uh, with obviously Vic Fangio now in the picture as the defensive coordinator and kind of a scheme change where you have these uh, star corners who really thrive in instinctual situations now and Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey and how good both of them are with the football IQ components of playing the game where very early in their careers, yeah, you just play lockdown man-to-man coverage and, and call it clamps, right? Where they'd stay on guys. Well now, and you heard Xavier ta- Howard talk about that when he met with the media ahead of the draft, chance to play with his eyes in the backfield a little bit more, I think is really exciting for a Dolphins defense last year that, had the regression statistically with turnovers and, you know, turnovers are kind of a chance thing where it's not sustainable year over year to guarantee that you're going to get there. You can only hope to put yourself in the best position and then hope to have the balance of the ball that goes your way, but getting complimentary football in all three phases, I think is the next step for Miami. And if, if they get that, that's where this team gets to be very, very exciting when you consider Hey, the offense was what the offense was last year. Hey, the nucleus of the defense in 2020 and 2021 was what it was. Okay, now let's put all the pieces of the puzzle together because you have the nucleus. You got bit really hard on the defensive side of the ball with injuries last year, be that with Nick Needham or Brandon Jones or Bradley Chubb playing through it after the trade deadline with what he was dealing with. So if you can just have enough depth and have enough difference makers across both sides of the ball that – when the injury bug does come knocking for player X or player Y, you still have difference makers on both sides of the ball to be able to withstand that and survive through that where you can still play winning football, I think is, is what the, the objective or hope should be based off of how they chose to attack this offseason. Different routes to victory, right? Every great right. team has multiple ways they can find the winner's circle. And, you know, I think even if you consider just the the circumstances alone last year around the Dolphins, the quarterback missing some games, the offensive tackle attrition, you mentioned the defensive injuries that they dealt with really on all three levels, still getting to nine and eight and, and damn near winning a road playoff game in, in your biggest rivals building, like pretty impressive, all things considered. And so I think you kind of look at, at that as an area of improvement. I think you look at the acquisitions they made, obviously, as an area of improvement. And you look at the potential for continuity on offense and what that provides uh, going into year number two. Had a chance to ask Tua about that. He pretty much rattled off all the things that are easier uh, in year two of an offense, which was cool to hear him talk about that for the first time since high school. Uh, he hasn't had the same play caller in back-to-back years since high schooler. But uh, it's it's been a theme for me this offseason, talking about this with people like yourself, you know, at the co- combine talking to the draft gurus there and, and everything in between um, the continuity. And I'm curious to get you to weigh in on that in the second year of an offense for a group that finished sixth in total offense, 11th in scoring again, despite the attrition with the injuries, how can that continuity with just the incumbents coming back, see this offense take another step in year number two? Well, I mean, you, you just mentioned it for 
for Tua himself, but how about for the Dolphins as an organization? Was what, 16 and 17 with Clyde Christensen was the last time the Dolphins had consecutive seasons with the same offensive play caller? Like, it, it's been that long? Really? Like, so I think you, re- you really take that human element of the game of football for granted, but there is a sense of familiarity where everybody's question is, okay, well, how do they avoid teams catching up to them? And it's, well, because they have the familiarity that they do where you can take your core principles and your core concepts and build new counter punches off of it. And you can get more proficient in those site adjustments and calls at the line of scrimmage because so much of this offensive infrastructure and why it's so popular across so much of the league is generally speaking, you'll get up to the line of scrimmage and you're supposed to have a check for a lot of your plays where if they give you a certain front, if you identify it properly and make the check, there is a counter punch off of that play with that formation and that alignment that will allow you to have a winning play. So I think that's really critical for Miami is the, the calls, the football IQ, the, the second nature of it all to be able to put more on your menu instead of starting in March and April every year with, all right, we're going to install terminology. Well, no, it's okay. You guys know the deal. Remember last year when we played Baltimore and we did this in the second half when they made this adjustment? No, this team likes to do that. And everybody who was here and in the building can fall back on that and have that recall and that understanding and have mastery of more solutions to the same problems that you'll get in any given point throughout the year. So I think it's huge for the Dolphins offense. And never mind the fact that they have impact difference makers on the roster as well, where even if the defense gets the call right, you got some special players that can make some big stuff happen. So uh, all of those things piecing together, I I think the formula is here for continuity to be one of the biggest sources of inspiration for a unit that took such a big step forward last year. That last point is one that I've been harping on a lot because even in the games where the offense was kind of, you know, stalling out a little bit, the, the San Francisco game, the Los Angeles game, you still had, you know, 50 yard touchdowns in those games. You had explosive right. plays at the 75 yard touchdown to Trent Sherfield. Like you still had things that this offense in the past just hasn't had for, for a long, long time, going back to a certain number 13 that would sling the football all over the lot here. And you also talk about that second year, man. Like I went back into the study on the podcast earlier this off season, looking at year two of, of McDaniel stops, obviously, you know, following Shanahan to his stops uh, in, in Atlanta and Washington prior to that, they were only in Cleveland for one year. You go to San Francisco, 17 to 18, big jump there. It's, it's tangible, man. If you get that this year with the Miami Dolphins, like going from six to, I don't know, top five offense, top three, that's pretty exciting to think about. One more question here for you, Kyle before we take our first break. And this is something that you and I, again, talk about all the time is, and and, you know, you do as well with all 32 scouting is the idea of team building, you know, life cycles, windows. And we heard Mm -hmm. Chris Greer address this in his media availability last week about, we don't view it that way. We just view it as opportunities to upgrade the roster and go get players. And we heard Marvin Allen and, and, and Chris as well talk about the running back room, the linebacker room last year, being on these one year contracts and having the foresight to go out and make impact moves for future years and, uh, you know, Marvin also touched on the idea of Eric Azukama and Chang Tindall and, and recognizing these guys, we expect, you know, a progression with these guys in their second, third and fourth seasons and so far or so on into their careers. So how do you like the way the Miami Dolphins have done this, where they they certainly have been aggressive and use those late first round draft picks to go get proven marquee talent, but also still find a way to draft guys that you're thinking about, not just immediate impact, but what they could do down the road for you. Yeah, so there's a couple different um, 
schools of thought that you've seen across the league that are overlapping here. And this is why the foundational year in 2019, in my mind, was so important because you'll you'll hear fans now refer to, oh, the Dolphins have one of the lowest numbers of dead cap across the entire NFL. And the reason why that is is because they reset the system in 2019 and they took a bunch of older players with high price contracts and they transitioned away from those players and they built up in draft capital where you had uh, probably 2x the average draft cl- class in capital in successive years in 2020 and 2021. And that's why you do that to get to this point where now you have the flexibility. You won't always have the flexibility to do what the Dolphins have done, right? And that's where what the Los Angeles Rams did in their pursuit of winning the Super Bowl in 2021. It was a success story, but they had done a really nice job across many years of finding good scheme fits and talents in rounds three and rounds four. And it kind of got away from them the last couple of years. And that's where I think you've really seen the bottom dropout of the Rams and their roster where they've transitioned and are in a position to trade away Jalen Ramsey and are kind of in a reset year of their own to kind of reset the deck and and then try to build and progress forward. Like the dolphins are in the middle of progressing forward and building and stacking on their own. So having players like an Eric Azucama and a Channing Tindall who get a year in the system, you get really familiar with what they are, what their strengths are, what their foundational packages and concepts as players can be. And then you monitor that growth throughout the course of the off season. It really does allow you, hopefully when you, have to make a decision who's in the for a player who's in the last year of their contract. Be that a Trent Sherfield this year who left and signed in Buffalo, who well, they brought back a number of wide receivers, but that was not a player that they brought back. And, and Trent, what he was so good at for the Dolphins was that insert blocker on the second level in the run game and making some really tough catches and being a complimentary receiver. Well, Ezukama profiles as that kind of player. Is he ready to be that kind of player? We'll find out. But Having that opportunity to stay ahead of your team needs a little bit where you have young talent and, and you can let a player go and then for a reduced fraction of the cost, have somebody who you know is going to be able to fulfill that role behind it is critical to maximizing this window in this runway that the Dolphins are going to fa- face right now. Yeah, they're, they're already in a position where you go back over the last few years, like, you know, you, you mentioned Tyreek Hill and what he commands from obviously a six time all pro is going to be expensive, both in draft capital and in the money you pay him. But having a Jalen Waddle there on that rookie contract to balance that out is, is awesome. Having Jalen Phillips to balance out, uh, you know, what Bradley Chubb earned from the production he's given in his career mm-hmm. uh, up and down the roster, man, whether it's first round to, to the fourth round, like you mentioned, you continue to hit on those draft picks, man. You can really, really round out a, a solid 53 man roster. The Dolphins appear to be doing that pretty well right now uh, heading into the season. You mentioned some of the offseason moves there in your previous answer. Let's go ahead and take our first break right here and come back on the other side and pick it up. We'll talk about the defensive acquisitions first and you how you like those fits here. And after the second break, we'll do the offense. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Back here on a Monday, it is draft week. Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins. You guys know the name. Joining us here talking all things Dolphins offseason. Tomorrow, we'll dive into the draft deeper. I do have a teaser question at the end of the episode to take us into the Tuesday episode. You know, pros pro, Kyle. We do this for a long time. We learn things, uh, some industry secrets here to, to get ourselves through the podcast. But I want to go ahead and start with the the marquee name. I think it's pretty clear we, we go. You mentioned it in the a few of your answers previously. Jalen Ramsey, a superstar yep. corner, uh, all the production in the world, a world champion, a the guy that's wired the right way, a guy that uh, I had Jordan Rodriguez in the podcast from The Athletic, and she broke down just how kind of 
special he is in terms of how he wants to be involved in in game planning and decision making and, and wants to be challenged in a way mentally. But I'm curious, all of that considered, Vic Fangio here, this defense playing opposite Xavier Howard. Tell us how you like the Jalen Ramsey fit in Miami. Well, I think the biggest thing that popped when you you turned on the 2022 tape and there's this narrative out here that Jalen Ramsey was not good last year for some reason uh, or was not to his own standard last year for some reason. But this guy's all over the field. (laughs) Like he's playing star. He's playing outside corner. He's playing safety. He's walked up on the line, like moves around a ton. And, And the the talking point that I have uh, kind of adopted this offseason for my own ways of describing things as positionless players and how coveted they are in the NFL. But the pathway to being a positionless player in the NFL is very different than the pathway to being a positionless player at the college level, where at the college level, you are schemed into a certain role and just different ways for you to accomplish that role. As an NFL player, you become a positionless player when you are highly uh, have a high aptitude of fulfilling multiple positions specifically within a defense or an offense. And I think about Jalen Ramsey and how good he is in the slot, how good he is on the second level, how good he is as a corner, how good he is in zone coverage, how dynamic he still is as a player. And that's what allows him to be this player that amidst the pass rush challenges for opposing quarterbacks to get up to the line of scrimmage and say, okay, where's 15, where's two, where's 94, right? Where's uh, is 55 on the field and in a position where he's up on the line of scrimmage and potentially coming. You have to answer all those questions, and then you get to the back end, and you have to say, hey, where's Ramsey at? And you don't know because it's not like he's just going to sit on the outside and play. And for a defensive coordinator like Vic Fangio, who likes to present the same picture in the pre-snap and then change the picture post-snap and challenge quarterbacks to consistently and properly make those reads without telling them what your intentions are before the snap, having a guy who can line up in different spots and then end up in any slew of positions or drops or assignments out of that uh, has the potential to really change the DNA of the entire defense because this Fangio defense, what works in the back seven is really what makes it go. And, And that's what I think is really fascinating for the Ramsey edition. I love that entire spiel you gave us there because i think a lot of times you know fans and maybe even us at times can and can look at things and just think you know black and white fit not fit type of thing the players impact how he races like a certain receiver but you talk about the way it impacts the opposing offense has to prepare for you like when you're going through that checklist there my first thought was hey there's only 40 seconds on the play clock like that's right. a lot to get through before you snap the football and then have to deal with, you know, oh, Phillips just beat my right tackle in, in one and a half seconds. I got to deal with that in my face as well. So it's it's exciting to think about the talent. Another guy that was added, uh, I believe shortly after the Ramsey acquisition was a, a man in the middle linebacker, David Long from Tennessee. And maybe you can tell me what on tape doesn't look great because from my vantage point, all I can say about the guys, he's missed some games because his tape is freaking awesome. David Long, what do you think about his game, Kyle? slasher type. I remember him going all the way back to West Virginia. I'd seen him a couple of times in Morgantown going out for games and thought he popped, but he played in this like three, three, five stack college defense. And it's like, man, like the, the potential is very clearly here. And it's a question of translating those skills from that West Virginia defense to what you're going to be asked to do at the NFL level. And boy, has he, uh, as he taken that transition in stride over, especially the last two years has been where it's really turned up for him. And uh, just the, the impact in, in the passing game in particular, 
whether that's as a pressure player or as somebody who's playing zone coverage underneath and, and has this very dynamic and robust range. And look, I, I think about all the best defenses in the NFL these days, whether it's the Indianapolis Colts with Shaquille Leonard or the Buffalo Bills with Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds, who obviously left this offseason, or the San Francisco 49ers with Fred Warner and, and uh, Dre Greenlaw. The common theme is these all have impact rangy linebackers that play on all three downs. And for the Dolphins to infuse this kind of player who is a slasher in the run game, he's going to be able to react quick and make his defensive lineman right if the back is cutting off of, of blocks and, and where defensive linemen have declared themselves into gaps, but be an aggressor in the run game and then simultaneously have the instincts and the peripheral vision that he does in zone drops underneath to be able to feel routes and, and squeeze throwing windows. Um, it's been a challenge for the Dolphins the last couple of years is defending the middle of the field against tight ends and backs. And uh, I think a player like this, in addition to what else they have with their, some of their sub package flexibility now uh, can really change how the Dolphins can defend that area of the field with those kinds of players. So I, I think it's huge. I, I think he has the potential uh, to really be a difference maker for what he's capable of doing across all three downs and be just another player that um, uh, you feel confident with his ability to play the run, rush the passer and play in, in, in space. And, and those guys you keep on the field as long as they're able to go. Kind of like Jerome Baker. I mean, those two guys never leave the football field and and run all over the place and make plays. You have those two guys. You've got uh, Duke Riley back and Channing Tindall, like we talked about in year number two. Excited about that linebacker room, man. Another guy that goes under the linebacker moniker, although it's a different position in a lot of ways, you know, outside versus inside, you wind up on the line of scrimmage, is a guy that I know you are a big fan of. I believe you had mentioned him in the chat, going back to that again, uh, a few weeks before he got signed. Malik Reed, a guy that has uh, uh, reunited here with Vic Fangio, formerly really good player for the Broncos and, and wound up in Pittsburgh last year and, you know, got traded right before the year began and had some good production early, but it didn't, it didn't finish that way. Now he finds himself back in a defense where he's had lots of success. Tell us about how much you love Malik Reed and his fit in this Dolphins defense. Yeah. So uh, Malik Reed started 26 games across two seasons with Vic Fangio as his head coach in Denver between 2020 and 2021 uh, came in as a rookie took a surprising amount of snaps as an undrafted rookie because he was kind of a little unorthodox with his stature and his length. But dude had 13 sacks for two seasons with Vic while playing with Bradley Chubb. And they had a, a number Von Miller there as well. So as a part, as a complimentary pass rusher with some positional flexibility based on his stature and what that allows him to do as compared to just being a traditional hand in the turf defensive end type or, rush linebacker type at 235, 240 pounds uh, was really, really humming in this system that you expect that Vic is going to have so much parallels with versus what he did uh, during his time in Denver. So uh, the fact that they got him kind of on a prove it one year deal, kind of re-inject some enthusiasm into his career after what was a statistically quiet season for him last year in Pittsburgh in a different scheme uh, I think this is a good chance for Malik Reed to bet on himself and a good bet for the Dolphins to take that with familiarity of what he's capable of and with a coach that has already gotten the best out of him, this can be a really nice rotational name to add into the mix. It's always nice when you, you know, if if 15 or, or two needs a break to go send somebody else out there and say, hey, hey, we can still get pass rush production. We can still win one-on-ones with that guy out there. You talk about him, Emmanuel Ogba's back and Andrew Van Ginkle's back. 
that edge group, man, it is it, to me, it's one of the best position groups, one of the best rooms in the entire national football league, not just among edges, but all positions. So looking forward to seeing what they can bring to the table this year. One more guy here before our second break in the secondary, you talk about, you know, some, some rotational help, some depth. We lose Eric Rowe in this regard. We do get to Sean Elliott in the building as a, you know, joining Javon Holland and, and Brandon Jones as guys that have played a lot of football in this defense at that position. Deshaun Elliott coming down here as a, a safety and a special teams guy and does a little bit of everything. What about his game? Do you like? Yeah, I think the physicality is one of the things that really pops about him. And, and he's kind of steadily progressed as a player who, you know, two of the last three seasons, he's played over 90% of the snaps defensively for, for Baltimore and, and then Detroit this past year. And Detroit really struggled to find their footing. Uh, this past season defensively in the first half of the year. And Elliott felt like he was one of the pieces that helped them stabilize amid they made some coaching changes, uh, but his presence on the field was consistent. And, and I thought he did a really nice job being a player who's not afraid to run downhill and tackle. Right. And, and that is such a big component of what my expectations are for this defense is to have Javon Holland and Deshaun Elliott and Brandon Jones in these starring roles, because you look at the track record, of Vic Fangio and safeties and, and the positions that he puts them in to make explosive plays and be two-way threats as both coverage players, but then also because of, again, changing the picture and needing versatility back there, being able to fit the run and, and run up and fly up and support the perimeter and uh, look to spill these runs to the outside and let these big hitting safeties that the Dolphins have collected make these big hits and, and fit the run. I, I think that's the big piece of the puzzle for Elliott where if Brandon Jones is healthy, you're probably expecting he's the big nickel. He's probably the third safety, but that's going to be a lot of snaps in this defense. And when you're the third, you're you're usually bumped up in into the hash or, or a little bit lower down towards the line of scrimmage. So you fit the D gap. You get to fly up in there, and you've saw as you've seen Deshaun Elliott's had the appetite to do that. And I think it's a really good fit for what the Dolphins' expectations are for that role. I'm thinking about that rap where he popped Derrick Henry and jarred the ball loose. Right. I think it was two years ago as a member of the Ravens, man, he has some juice and he arrives as a big time hitter. So we love seeing that. And it, like you said, it fits with those safeties. It fits with this defense that really plays, you know, uh, like you mentioned, some ladder boxes, some, some more sub packages in the back end. That third safety is going to see plenty of playing time. So Deshaun Elliott, if that's the role carved out for him, we'll see plenty of him down here in Miami. Let's go ahead and take our second break right there and come back on the other side and do the exact same thing with the offensive additions. And then we'll talk about the draft for one question before we Kick it off to the second episode tomorrow here with Kyle Krabs from Locked On Dolphins. My guest today, Travis Wingfield, Drive Time Podcast, brought to you by AutoNation. Back here, segment number three on a Monday. My guest today is Kyle Krabs, the host of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We're talking about the Dolphins offseason ahead of tomorrow's episode, breaking down all things Dolphins 2023 draft, which of course occurs on Thursday night. We'll see our names on Friday night, maybe, maybe Thursday, probably, probably, probably Friday. <laughs> Risk to talk about it. That's it. That's, we're going to talk about that in the next episode as well. So uh, another teaser there for you. Let's go ahead and go back to the offense here and start with the skill positions or do you consider tight end a skill position? Is that a skills skill spot? Absolutely. I think tight ends, one of the more challenging, especially for guys coming in the league, you got to be able to block like an offensive lineman at times. You got to be able to catch the ball like a receiver at other times. You got to be able to play two different lives as a tight end. So I, I give those guys a ton of credit for, for what they are able to do when they have success. Not to mention just dis, uh, displacing, you know, edges in the running game and trying to create space right. that way. So that's, that's the role that Eric Saubert finds himself in doing multiple things in a new offense here, but he did talk about how 
Uh, he's learned so many new offenses being a bit of a journeyman across the league that he doesn't find it challenging anymore, which I thought was really cool to hear him talk about that. And I guess once you get to a, a requisite number of or a requisite level of football education, it's just changing in terminology at that point. You can kind of uh, pick it up a little bit quicker, but let's talk about that guy because to me, he's pretty fascinating, Kyle. He's a guy that, like we said, bounced around production. Hasn't been like crazy, but you look at the traits and just a couple of things about him. When you see some of the highlights or even the film, some things that really pop, I don't know if you see it the same way, but I want to get your analysis here of Eric Saubert, new dolphins tight end. Yeah. I mean, you definitely see the ability. I thought his, his biggest impact plays in the passing game were getting up the seam, getting behind the second level and, and getting getting the ball up and down 15 to 20 yards between the linebackers and the safeties. And, and you think you think about what the Dolphins lost with Mike Gusecki this offseason and how that was such an impactful thing that Mike was capable of doing. Well, I'm not saying that Eric Saubert is Mike Gusecki, but that role in the passing game to quickly get behind the second level, I think it's a, a good role for Eric Saubert and what he brings to the table, but he plays more in line. Um, he, he's more effective with his hand in the dirt. You see him with more opportunities in the run game and in pass protection where the Dolphins last year if 88 was on the field, I think it was like 78, 79% of the time they were passing the ball, right? And and that's just maximizing the skill set of the player. Well, when you have a player who is a little bit more diverse, and then you take into account what the Broncos tight end room has been, where they had Andrew Beck as kind of a, a hybrid fullback tight end type to go with Eric Tomlinson, Albert Okwegbunam was a fourth round pick a few years ago. Like they had a tight, crowded tight end room. And they had a lot of guys who were capable of playing in line with athleticism. And Saubert, you know, I, I think in a different situation with this stage in his career, it's it's pretty easy to forget that when he came out of college, he was coming out of, was it Drake? So there's, there's a big jump in competition there. So I understand why Eric Saubert has taken a little bit of time to bounce around, stop to stop across the league and, and get his footing and get that football education. But this feels like a player that's that's more primed now because of the exposures and experiences that he's got to be a viable tight end two at the NFL level. And if that's what the Dolphins are going to ask him to, to be, they're going to be in great shape. They come back this year. Right now we have Durham Smythe, we have Eric Saubert and Tanner Connor, and, and Chris Greer kind of alluded to the three of those guys in the room and, and what they bring to the table. And it's it's pretty well, you know, I, I guess diverse in terms of the skill sets they offer. So we'll see what happens come draft day again. That's tomorrow's episode. Let's stay here on the offensive side of the football here with a couple of wide receivers and, and kind of break down the fit of one of the earlier acquisitions back in free agency and, and the most recent one with Braxton Berrios and Chosen Anderson. We'll start with Berrios here because we, again, we heard from Chris Greer and Marvin Allen, the return game comes up first. We, we know that we, we got a lot better in that department getting Braxton Berrios in the building, but also some receiving skill sets there. What do you like about Braxton Berrios in this offense and on special teams? Yeah. Well, you, you look at the contract that they gave my promise you, they didn't just sign on a return kicks. There's some expectations for the passing <laughs> sure. game here. Uh, and I think he's going to be a really good man beater as a slot player where he, you think about Miami last year and when teams were willing to overcommit to defending 10 and 17, who was the guy that was going to step up and consistently beat man coverage? I, I think Braxton Berrios can bring a different layer to this Dolphins offense in that regard as a slot player, in addition to the really valuable role that he will play as hopefully having a stabilizing force on special teams too. Without question, that was uh, almost right from my my analysis there back when we signed him was, hey, if, if he has a two-way go inside and we want to get rid of the ball in two seconds, it's a good option to be able to do that right. to a guy that can separate that quickly. Completely different type of player. Chosen Anderson, right? He <laughs> couldn't be more different, right? Yeah. 
So I, I think the thing with Chosen Anderson that is interesting to me is if they're going to ask him to play on the vertical plane, which is where I think he's won the best. And the passing game situations he's been in the last two years haven't been great. Uh, only overlap with Kyler Murray for a little bit in Arizona after the trade deadline. And then it was Colt McCoy, right? So it's that Colt McCoy, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Cam Newton. Those are the guys throwing the ball the last two years. So I understand why the production has dipped. Um, if he's going to run the vertical plane stuff, what that would then in turn allow Mike McDaniel to do with both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle playing off of each other in the intermediate and shallow areas of the field simultaneously, you're not sacrificing your vertical stretch in the passing game to put Jalen and Tyreek both in underneath concepts. And I think having a player that can command some level of respect on vertical stretch that's not one of those two players is the most compelling thing that I think Chosen Anderson can provide to the Dolphins' offense. It's going to be a really fun competition come camp at the receiver position. You talked about Ezukama earlier, Cedric Wilson here as well. Uh, Braylon Sanders got a cup of coffee last year playing some reps late in the year. And you talk about Braxton Barrios, Chosen Anderson on top of Tyreek and Jalen. Like it's a, it's a pretty good and deep wide receiver room. Let's go ahead and finish up here with a couple of uh, additional former New York Jets and Dan Feeney on the offensive line, a guy that, uh, coming out of Indiana, man, I was stoked about his tape. He winds up yeah. with the Chargers and goes back to the Jets uh, last couple of years. Now he's here in Miami. Tell us about Dan Feeney in this system, coming from a system where he played similar scheme from uh, the Michael Fleur offense. Yeah, I think that that's probably the most compelling selling point, right? Is there's a guy, this is a guy with a little bit of positional f- versatility and flexibility to be able to play center and stretches, play guard and stretches. And he's played in an offense that had a lot of the same concepts or how you want to win and, and, and block both in the run game and pass protection with what the Jets did last year with Mike LaFleur. So I think scheme familiarity for utility into your offensive lineman. Um, last year, we thought that player was going to be Michael Dieter, who could play center and play guard. And when injuries started to hit, you saw Robert Jones, you saw Lester Cotton in the playoff game. You didn't see Michael Dieter. Well, I, I think for them to have a center guard versatile flex player knowing that he understands the concepts of what you're trying to accomplish offensively because he did it last year. I think that's why you saw the dolphins prioritize adding him as an insurance policy on the interior. Yeah. It's a, it's always good to have depth in that position. And like the entire offensive line, I mean, it's, we have guys that can play two or, you know, most guys can play at least two spots. Right. Some guys can play multiple spots inside and outside. So it's really nice to have that flexibility. It gives you more flexibility going into the draft as well. If you want to add players there, but again, we'll talk about that on tomorrow's episode. Let's finish up here at the quarterback position. We heard uh, Chris Greer talk about not having quarterbacks in for their visits. The only position they didn't look at for the 30 visits. And I have to think that having quarterbacks really at all three tiers of their career, like Tua's, you know, that, that young emerging star, Mike White's kind of proven he can come off the bench and make some plays. Skylar Thompson, the, the developmental prospect with some, some reps last year that, you know, flashed as a rookie, but Mike White, what do the Dolphins get from this guy? I think you're getting a player who, who's trying to prove that he can play, right? And, and I think that's something where you think about Jacoby Brissett and Teddy Bridgewater as veteran backups, and the value that they brought was being veteran backups. Whereas Mike White, we, we've established Tua Tungvalu as a starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. We don't have to worry about a veteran backup. Tua has been in the league no, long enough now going into his fourth year where you don't need a mentor anymore for Tua. Now you got a guy who's from the area with a chip on his shoulder who got a taste of playing time last year who's really trying to stick as an NFL player. And I, I think the hunger that Mike White has in an opportunity where hopefully 
with all due respect to Mike White, we don't see what Mike White take a snap next year, right? Like, hopefully that's the world yeah. that we live in. And Tua Tagovailoa <laughs> plays every snap for the Dolphins' offense. But if you do see Mike White, again, it's familiarity with the system where, again, you, you think about the last two years and the contrast in styles of Teddy Bridgewater and Jacoby Brissett to Tua Tagovailoa. Mike White has a little bit of that looseness, creative passer to his game. But more importantly, he's played in the system. And when he was at his best for the Jets, was executing the primary fundamentals and reads of the position. And doing that in a similar offense, you feel like, just like we talked about earlier in the show, is the offense for a whole, you're fast-tracking the process of feeling comfortable with how much you can give this player and how diverse and broad your game plan can be if he has to go in and play the game. It's and not to mention the familiarity here with South Florida a guy that wants to come home. And uh, I know he was super bummed out. He didn't get a chance to play in that season finale going back home and yeah. playing in front of his, all, all of his family, which, you know, maybe for the Dolphins is a good thing. With, Probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to win that game. Uh, what was that, 11 to six there at the end and getting the playoffs, but uh, looking forward to seeing Mike in, in training camp this year. But again, like you said, hopefully never beyond preseason and we get two of for 17 games and into the postseason. Kyle, I teased a, uh, a teaser to end the episode. Teased, with. Teased a teaser. Yeah, it's, that's what we do here on Draft Time. Okay, but, uh, okay. I think I'm going to punt it to the next episode because we are right up against time right here, and I like it more in the next episode. We're going to do that next, okay? So I tease the tease. I'm going to tease the tease one more time and go ahead and call it an episode right here. Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins podcast. I do, however, want to give you the chance to go ahead and promote your work. We'll do it again tomorrow, but I, I don't want to do an episode and not have you talk about what you're working on, where you're at, where the folks can find you. Take the floor, sir. Yeah, the... Uh... The people can find me. I'm on social media at Grinding the Tape. I'm the host of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I'm also on the Locked On Network to do Locked On NFL Scouting with Joe Marino. It's a show dedicated to team building. We we look at all of the things that your general manager has to take into account to build a roster and and, uh, try to build a a championship caliber program. Those are the things that we explore on that show. So I'm I'm locked in on Locked On. So the Locked On Network is where you can find me at all times and uh, grinding the tape on social media if you want to come ask me some questions about the fins. Every once in a while, I accidentally say, keep it locked right here on the Drive Time Podcast mm. because I have about 800 reps of doing that previously. So uh, yep. th- those those are pretty good puns to have when talking about podcasts and, and, and staying tuned to your show. Kyle, appreciate your time today, man. We'll talk to you here and again in about two seconds, but for the folks, about 24 hours. Sounds great. And away he goes. Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins. Check out all of his work. Does a bunch of great stuff, not just for the draft, but for your Miami Dolphins. Let's go ahead and get out of here. We'll come back tomorrow and pick this right back up with our draft preview with Kyle. All of that and much, much more to come this week, including Jordan Reed on the Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. In the meantime, you all please be sure. Subscribe, rate, review, follow on social. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out our team YouTube channel for Dolphins today, as well as all the media availabilities. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, till tomorrow, fins up, Caroline and Cameron. Daddy's coming home.